Wonderful. Love the presence of God. The uh, moral of the story, uh, Christine's story, was that God answers prayer. Not that you have to wait 22 years if you're wanting to get married. <laughs> I leaned over to Lucy and said, hmm, 22 years, huh? <laughs> God's faithful, he'll get there. No, it's not, not that long. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful that you pour your love upon us, that no matter what we've done, no matter how our life has been, you still call us to come to you. You don't hold us back. You don't keep us at arm's distance. And so we just thank you. As we open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Lead us into truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Following up on last week, where, uh, we started talking about aligning ourselves to God's pattern and priorities so that we see an increasing weight of his presence, of his glory. And uh, if you were here, we concluded with just Moses' request, please show us your glory. And uh, in the New Testament, we see that concept tied in with the kingdom of God. And so I want to, in line with that, begin a series on kingdom living. Let me tell you, if you take notes, by the end of this, you'll have a handbook on kingdom living. And uh, if you don't take notes, you'll wish you had. A word to the wise. So just review before we get into it this morning. The kingdom of God, Jesus taught more about the kingdom of God than about anything else. In fact, 10 times more about the kingdom than about salvation. Whoa. Matthew 4.17, the very first thing Jesus preached is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Think differently. After his resurrection, Acts 1.3, it says... Uh, he presented himself alive after the infallible proofs, having seen that by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. For 40 days after his resurrection, he talked about the kingdom. So the very first thing he said was the kingdom. After his resurrection, he kept talking about the kingdom. During his life, he talked about the kingdom more than anything. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, he said that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached unto all the world, and then the end will come. So you think maybe it's a bit important. Yeah. This is where you say, okay, yes. This is interaction time. Uh, it is. It's, it's obviously Jesus thought it was important. But what is the kingdom? The kingdom of God is literally the rule of God. A kingdom is the realm over which a ruler rules. But because it's spiritual, it's not geographical, it's people. It's the people that have submitted to his rulership. Too often we think geographical, uh, but it's not, that's not the case. It's not geography, but people. Bottom line is that Jesus is the king, the ruler, the, the lord and master of that kingdom. Why did he speak so much about it? Because the kingdom of God is so totally different than the kingdom of the world, whose ruler is the devil. 
So you have these two kingdoms in opposition, the kingdom of God, whose ruler is God, who Jesus is the king, and you have this kingdom of the world, whose ruler is the devil, and they're totally different. And the problem is that we're saturated in this one all our lives. So when Jesus comes, the first thing he says is repent. Think differently. Repent didn't mean turn away from sin and all the stuff that it means in our religious thinking today. It literally meant think differently. Change your thinking because the kingdom of God, the rulership of God is here. I've preached on this before. That's why I'm going through it quickly. Just kind of a a reminder. Uh, I realize that not all of you were here when I preached that, but I just assumed that you were. Uh, The devil's the ruler of this world. John 12, 31. Jesus says that very thing. The ruler of this world will be cast out, talking about the devil. John 14, 30. He says, the ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world lies under the influence or the sway of the evil one, the wicked one. Uh, Matthew 4, 8 and 9, in Jesus' temptation, the devil took him up on the exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus never contradicted that message. Satan was actually saying, I'm the ruler of this world and I will give this to you if you worship me. And so just so you're aware, I know you know this, but the world is under the rule of the devil. If you're not part of God's kingdom, then you're part of the kingdom of darkness. Very simple. And when we get saved, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his son. You still with me? The two are so different that Jesus said we have to think differently. In fact, Romans 12.2 says we have to actually be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So they're totally different. So we're going to be talking about kingdom living over the next few weeks. But I want to start with this. The number one key to understanding the kingdom is this. Jesus is the king. Very simple. If you don't get that, you'll never understand anything about the kingdom. Jesus is the king. He's the focus. He's central. The kingdom of God is about his rulership. He's the king of kings, the Lord, the savior, the head of the church, the Alpha and the Omega, the bride of the bridegroom. He's the name above every name. He's the Lord of lords. All those things focus, the whole focus of the Bible is the lordship of Jesus. So what I want to say is this, becoming a follower of Jesus is the entrance to the kingdom. It's where we begin. It's not the totality. It's just entering into a whole new life. And then we're transformed as we live in that kingdom, as we submit to the rule of that king. It's the interest of the kingdom. Let me tell you this. Becoming a follower of Jesus is also the first step in aligning ourselves with God to see an increasing weight of his presence and glory. 
the first step is becoming a follower of Jesus. Okay, now we're going to get serious. If he's the king, then I'm not. We have some friends who lead a church in Sydney. And one day she was telling us about their, they have six kids. And one of them was being quite naughty. And she finally set her down. She was about seven years old. And she said to her, you need to understand, you're not the boss of this house. Say that. The one said, I'm not the boss of this house. I'm not the boss of this house. For the next half hour, she heard her. I'm not the boss of this house. Seven years old. Eventually, tears come down. I'm not the boss of this house. Mary shared that with our grandson once when he was quite misbehaving. And he said, I'm not the boss of this house. He said, but Grammy, it's so hard to surrender my will. (laughs) (laughs) And Grammy said, yes, and it's hard for me too. But the key is, that's how we become a follower. Jesus called those who came after him followers. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. He said to him, Matthew is very similar to Zacchaeus, a tax collector that nobody would give the time of day. Nobody thought anything of. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Over in Mark chapter 8, from verse, uh, it's in here somewhere, 34. And he had called the people to himself and his disciples also, and he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Very simple, isn't it? But yet some of you are saying, but what about it where it just says believe in me? Good question. John 14, verse 1. Jesus speaking to his disciples says that very thing. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Famous verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10, very similar. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confesses. Confession is made to salvation. What about that? I want you to understand something. The word pistuo, which is the Greek word for believe, carries a little bit more weight than it does in English. It means believe, trust in, be fully convinced. It's more than just credence. It expresses reliance upon and a personal trust that produces obedience. 
it includes submission. See, the Greek idea was much more of an integrated whole. To believe something affected your life. Yet modern culture has often separated belief and life. I can believe something, and it doesn't actually affect the way I live. It's an intellectual assent to something. It's a credence, but it doesn't require me to obey. When Jesus says, follow me, it's it's inherent in that idea that you're believing in him to follow him, but you can't just sit passively and say, I believe in Jesus. Yet in American culture, we can. Belief becomes an intellectual activity that's divorced from how we live. If you read the book of James, James was referring to that in a big picture. It was beginning to creep into the church already, this passivity. It talks about faith and works. But it culminates in James 2.19, where he says, you believe that, God is, that, that there is one God, and you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The message being, you can believe in God and not be a follower of Jesus. There's a difference between being a believer and being a follower. Jesus called people to follow him. I was asked recently by leaders of a church in another state, why is it that some people never grow or are never transformed? And I said it might be because they believe in Jesus, but they're not followers. See, again, let me restate, believing in modern culture means that we can be passive. We're believing in, as Jesus talked about it, meant an action. It affects how we live. See, in our modern culture, Jesus can be a quadrant in our lives, but not the center, not the Lord. If you were here a while, I drew a circle that would represent your life, a little circle in the middle that is the the center. Most of us were seated in the center of our life, on the throne of our life, and we have other things in the circle, in the quadrants of our life, family and work and uh, other activities, but they all serve us. And the reality is when we submit to Jesus to become part of his kingdom, we get off the throne and allow him on the throne. You can believe and Jesus can be a quadrant in your life, but not the center. Let me tell you, if that's the case, you're not a follower of Jesus. Now let me get real serious. If I'm still the king of my life, if I'm still seated on the throne, I am not part of his kingdom. By definition, to become part of his kingdom is to submit to his kingship, his lordship. Word Lord occurs 270 times in the New Testament. Savior occurs 26 times. They occur together 19 times. Every time they occur together, it's Lord and Savior. It's not Savior and Lord. 
What's the point? Unless we submit to his lordship and his rulership, we're not part of his kingdom. The lie that has affected our culture is that you can have this passive belief in Jesus that doesn't affect how you live. You can show up at church a couple times a year, kind of like paying premiums on fire insurance, and think that that makes you a follower of Jesus. The reality is it doesn't. I'm getting serious here this morning. It would smile at me. I'm not angry. My heart's uh, full of love. Following Jesus means going where he goes. It means being with him. It means aligning our lives with him. Back to last week. How can we experience an increasing weight of his presence, his glory in our lives, if we don't follow him? If we're not where he is? If you go back to Exodus 40, you would see that there was a cloud by day and a fire by night. And if you read it, it says, when the cloud lifted and moved, they broke camp and they followed the cloud. It's a type pointing to the kingdom that we follow Jesus. He doesn't follow us. We go where he is. Maybe you're thinking, Russ, you sound a bit, a bit forceful here. Aren't there other ways? Why does it have to be this way? If, uh, if you wanted to drive to my house and I gave you my address and there are directions to get there, but you didn't like that road, you decide you'd go some other way. Where I live, there's only one way, only one road. The, the question isn't really about the way. The question is about the address. So you don't really want to come to my house unless you're going to follow the way to get there. If I give you the address, you can get there if you want to be. God gives us his address. And says, this is the way to get there. And people say, but that's, that's religious. That's, that's too legalistic. There has to be more than one way. The question isn't with the getting to God. The question isn't really with the way. The question is with the address. I don't really want to get there if I have to submit to him as king. I still want to be in charge. Everyone take a deep breath. (laughs) First key to kingdom living is that Jesus is king. The wonderful thing is he's still saying, follow me. Follow me. Not follow a church. Not follow a denomination. 
not follow a doctrine, not follow a belief, but follow him. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. If you've been hurt, it wasn't Jesus that hurt you. If you've been smashed in a church, it wasn't Jesus that smashed you. If your expectations had not been met and people didn't do what you think they should, it wasn't Jesus that didn't meet your expectations. We need to get our focus back onto him because the kingdom is about a king. All the songs we sang, assume that. If you've been hurt, the answer is to get your focus back to Jesus. If you've been disappointed, get your eyes off your disappointment and get your focus back onto Jesus. He's still the healer. Let me say, if you've been a believer, but not a follower, His invitation is still, come follow me. Don't just say, ah, I'll go to church every once in a while. Going to church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> well, if I sit here long enough, I might turn into a car. If I go to church enough, I might be like these other people who are followers of Jesus. There's one entrance to the kingdom, and that's turning from living for ourselves, getting off the throne, and asking him to come take his residence. There's no other entrance. You don't become a follower of Jesus because your parents are a follower of Jesus. There is no second generation. Everyone starts anew and afresh. I was talking with a young man this week who was raised with family that uh, loved Jesus. He said he'd been through a number of alpha courses. His family uh, led. He knew a lot, but he realized that he wasn't actually saved. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. I was raised in a church. Went to church for 11 years, knew a lot about Jesus till I realized I didn't know him. Knowing about Jesus doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Following him does. It's really, could it be that simple? A number of years ago, Mary and I were leading the church in Melbourne. And uh, the church we had come out of in Adelaide that we planted out of, uh, there was a current affair uh, program had come to this lady in Adelaide who had a disease called Indian rubber man disease, which basically her ligaments weren't, were not strong enough to keep all of her joints in place. And so she would constantly have uh, dislocations of her joints. And while they were doing this story on her, her, her actual hip came out. I mean, she, she was in a wheelchair, she couldn't, couldn't walk, and th- during their story, the cameraman is actually trying to help her get her hip back in joint. 
while they've done this, this program, they come back six months later to do a follow-up, and she's running in the yard playing soccer with her kids. And these current affair people said, what happened? She said, well, let me tell you. After they had done the story on her, she went to a church and got saved, and God touched her and healed her. And they were so shocked, because they had actually seen. And they saw her now that they went to the church, and they interviewed the church, and saw what was happening. It was happened to be the church that we came out of. And as a result of that, they played it on the, the TV, as a result of that, we got a, they got a call from a lady in Melbourne and said, I saw this on TV. Is there a church like that in Melbourne? They said, oh, there just be, so happens to be one that was just planted there. So we get this call from this lady who was about 60, Jewish background, hungry for God. She said, I saw this. Can I come to your church? We said, sure. She came along, and after talking a little bit, we realized that she didn't actually know Jesus. We said, can we get together? She was 60 years old, Jewish background, she had a hunger for God, and she went to a church 20 years before. And she was told, you should get in touch with your Jewish roots. For 20 years, she's looking. We share the gospel with her, what Jesus has done, and the grace of God. And she looked at us, just started crying. I said, could it be that easy? Is it that simple? We said, yeah. Would you like to pray? Yes, please. Came to Jesus. 20 years looking. Didn't know, didn't know him. We have the privilege, every one of us, of directing people to Jesus. Not to church. As wonderful as you are, and I, and I love you, I think you're fantastic. You're not gonna change people's lives. Jesus will. As wonderful as our worship team is, they're not gonna change people's lives. As great as a preacher that I am. <laughs> You'll laugh, you know that's not the case. My preacher's not gonna change someone's life. Connecting people to Jesus. Would you stand? Would you bow your head? Again, it's not more spiritual to bow your head. It's just it's easier not to be distracted by people. We've experienced something of the presence of God in worship this morning. I hope you did. But more than that, Jesus is here and he's calling still, follow me. If you're here this morning, and I would suspect that you're some sort of a believer to even be here, but you can be a believer and not be a follower. I want to invite you to change that today. I want to invite you to become a follower of Jesus 
and then to know him. So you can believe and you can know about him, but you don't ever know him until you're a follower. There's no condemnation. There's no fear. There's no pride. You might say, but I've been in church for a long time. What will people think? They'll celebrate the fact that you become a follower of the King of Kings. That's all we are. Mary jokingly said, that's why we're here. Why we live here is because we're a follower of Jesus. This wasn't our good idea. We're not that smart. <laughs> we didn't know Tasmania was so wonderful. I'll just give you a moment. Because it's what happens in the heart. That you saying, Lord, I get off the throne of my life and I submit to your kingship, your lordship. Will you forgive me for thinking I could actually run my own life? And if you're already a follower of Jesus, will you set your heart to know him more? To make, allow him to make the transformations that help us align with him and his purposes so we see an increasing weight of his presence. It's his presence that makes us different. Lord, we just stand amazed at your love. Thank you that, as was shared earlier, it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how we've lived. It doesn't matter the things that we think would disqualify us. You see beyond that because you love us. We don't have to change ourselves and be different or better. We simply come to you as we are. But Lord, as a church, the rest of us who know you, will you open our eyes again to not only see you, but to see that you're the answer for the people around us, for our family and friends. It's not about getting people to come to church. It's about introducing them to the King of Kings. We're going to be dismissed in a moment. If this is your first time or if you're making a commitment to be a follower of Jesus, I'd love to pray with you. I have a little booklet for you just to show you the next steps as well. That's all secondary. 
But I'd love for you to just let me know. I'd love to pray with you afterwards. If you need someone to pray with you for healing, if you've been hurt and as you look back to Jesus, there's some things you need to let go. There's people who'd love to pray with you. But uh, let's just be open. And then let's carry his presence. That's the greatest privilege, isn't it? We get to carry his presence to a hurting world. Jesus never said you have to be a light to the world. He said you are. He didn't say work really hard to shine. He said a light you don't put it under bushes. He said you are light. His presence is light. His presence is what the world needs. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence and your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you'd like someone to pray, if you've decided to follow Jesus, please uh, just come here to the front and let me know. Otherwise, if you have children, please get them. My wife is out there. So I'd like her to be happy for the rest of the day. No. She loves your kids. God bless you. Have a wonderful, uh, a wonderful rest of your day.